Shall we begin? Why not? Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It's like she's got a whole lot of goodness for you with a little bit of sass. Frankie, did you just say... She sure did. Not to mention... Along with... Whoops. Join us now as Frankie Picasso and her new co-host mix it up with authors, musicians, and interviews with world-changing people. Let's begin Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense. Hello there, and welcome to Frankie Sense and More. I am so excited today. I have two of Tyndale's Christian authors with us, Carrie Armstrong Gardner and Tass Sata. But first, I want to welcome, it's his debut, his inaugural show with me, Frederick Bai. He's my new co-host. Hello. Hello, Fred. He also (laughs) has his own podcast, Creative Magic Unchained. Uh, But we had such a great time in chemistry together when he was on the show that I just, I wrote him immediately and said, you've got to be a co-host here. Mm. And he said, yes. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I ain't missing on that that opportunity. I'm so honored to be here and excited. Uh, Me too. And and I should mention that the accent that you hear is a French accent. He's French Canadian. (laughs) And so we have we have our little, you know, I'm English Canadian. So we have our little, you know, tete a tete. (laughs) (laughs) You'll see how it goes. Uh-huh, yeah. There it goes. But first, uh, Fred has a has has a positive news story. Uh, what I like on Frankie Sense is that we are loosely aligned with the United Nations Global Goals, and I like to make sure that they're always in the forefront of our minds because they're extraordinary. So go ahead, Fred, take it away. Yeah. So you know, I looked up uh, some good news in the in the in the six o'clock news of the evening. You always have bad news, but here on the Frankie Sense. And more, we have good news, along with global goals. And I found this one, and the title is Homeless Man Offers Money to Pay Students Bus Fare. And I thought that was interesting, and I contacted uh, Frankie about it. This is the one I suggested. Basically, a college student was ready to catch the bus to go home at night until she realized she could not go anywhere except on foot. While walking towards the bus the bus stop, a homeless man approached Caroline Santana, asking for some change. She had been searching her purse for her bus pass and promised the man she would give him some money as soon as she could find any. And, uh, no, I mean, soon enough, the Brazilian student started thinking she didn't have the bus pass or money to pay the fare and started to worry. And seeing the situation unfold, the homeless man did not seem to think twice. Do you know how much is the ticket? Because I have $4 and I will be happy to give it to you. That's what the homeless man said. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's just, to me, that's heartwarming. It's uh, directly aligned with, with um, yeah, like I said, the global goals. It's about, you know, erase poverty and generous generosity. Right. It's all about, you know, erasing poverty, basically. A poor man gives money to somebody who has the money. And well, he something certainly good wasn't poor in spirit, <laughs> was he? I mean, you know, he had this wonderful spirit, and and he saw this young girl, and he worried for her safety to to yeah. walk home at night, and yeah. and so you know he went through what he had and offered to give, you know, instead of he was looking for money, but he offered to give up what he did have, um, yeah. for her, which is very sweet. And oh, you're yeah. right, the UN Global Goals does promise to erase poverty by. You know, the next three years, actually, and by 2030, all of their goals will be in place at 17 of them. So it's pretty fantastic. Okay, well, thanks for that story. Hey, no problem. It was a good one. I liked it. (laughs) 
<laughs> Let's talk to Carrie. Carrie Armstrong Gardner. She's a nurse. She's an author. She's a former worker with children at risk in Russia. And she lives in Portland, Maine with her husband and three teenagers and two dogs that I don't think she wants to have at her house. I don't know. We'll have to ask her about those. Uh, she's the author of They Danced On. It is, is, is that the third in the Darling series? I'm not 100%. Yeah, it's the third one and it just released this uh, last month. Oh, is it? Okay. Well, it's a it's a wonderful book, and, and it really touched my heart, Carrie, because I'm at that stage where my children have left. Uh, you know, I'm always looking for, for new things, and I feel I still feel empty. I still feel like as much as I have in my life, oh. there's there's like something missing. Cut out, Frankie. I don't hear you. Oh, sorry. As as much as you know, I have in my life. I still, like I said to my husband yesterday, there's still I still need more. I, you know, the kids. My daughter's moving to San Diego. She's getting married. My sons are already married and out of the house. And you know, my my even though they're having grandchildren and kids and whatever, um, I feel bereft that I'm not a mother mm-hmm. full time. Yeah. So it was very timely to read your book and, and to see what really? what uh, you know your your protagonist was going through. And you know, with the darling, she had a husband of forty some odd years who was dying with a terminal disease. She had a daughter who was addicted to alcohol. Uh, you know, you had a lot of themes going on. So how did you and and even an adoption? She had been pregnant early on. You know, at like seventeen and had to give up this baby. Where did you come up with all of this? Like. Did any of this touch you, your life personally? A lot of it does come from um, my life experiences or at least life experiences that I can translate into fiction. Um, and a lot of it was a process. You know, I wrote the first book and I pretty much had that squared away. And a lot of the second book, I originally wrote the series as one big book. I think when I signed a contract with my agent, I don't know, three years ago or four years ago, I had one massive 600-page book, and he said, this is too big for a first novel. This is like epic fantasy-length fiction. So he suggested that I break the book up into two books, and then based on that, we sold a three-book series. So at the time that I was writing the first two books, I didn't know what was going to happen in the third book. Um, so so it was probably the least well-planned of the books, but it's actually my favorite yeah. Well, I know, you know, I'm no, um, and Tass, you, you feel free to jump in anytime. I am no expert on, on the Bible, certainly. Um, but one of the themes that you had going on was, was that, um, what's, what's, I'm sorry, the wife's name again? What's Jane? Jane. Jane. Yeah. Jane, Jane was really angry at her husband because she felt as his terminal disease progressed and he was getting weaker, um, she was angry at him that his that she thought his faith wasn't strong enough because if he just believed a little bit more, then God would save him and he wouldn't have to get into a wheelchair or use a walker or have a feeding tube or whatever else was coming down the pipe for him. He had ALS, which, as we know, is a horrible disease to die from. You're a nurse. You know that. So, you know, that that idea that he he his faith wasn't strong enough like hers was, but his right. wasn't. So right. she blamed him for the right. pretty much. She blamed him for the disease in a way. Yeah. And so I think um, what happens if um, is that a lo- not just in the area of, of health, but in a lot of areas, I think a lot of times people in the church can settle for kind of reductionist answers like, you know, if this happens, then that will happen as if God were sort of um, a, a genie in a bottle that you rub. You know, if you rub it the mm-hmm. right way, he'll give you what you wish for. And um, and I think what happens, the truth is that God, um, I have found, wants to sometimes teach us deeper lessons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the answer that we that we think we deserve 
or we think is promised, um, he has something better in mind for us. And I think Jane comes to find that in the book, that um, she, she learns some deeper lessons when she doesn't get the healing that she asked for. Let me, let me ask you this. How did writing the book help you with or help your children with, you know, stuff like that addiction? I think um, that, well, originally I didn't write the series for the Christian market. I, I didn't ever plan on writing for the Christian market. In fact, mm -hmm. I think um, as I move on, I, I don't plan to write for the Christian market. Um, but that's where my agent sold it, and that was fine with me. Mm -hmm. And so, but of course, my, my editors wanted um, a little bit more of the spiritual slant on it. So they walked me through that process of trying developing... Um, my character's spiritual journey is much more than I had originally written. And so it forced me to put words to my own faith issues in a way that I was sort of intellectually honest to me. Oh, that's interesting. interesting. Yeah, interesting, that's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, when reading it, you would think that you were a real scholar of the Bible. Well, I, I am a Bible college graduate, actually. Um, oh, okay. I, church, so <laughs> I, always, I, always, I always sweep the uh, Bible categories in jeopardy. But, um, in, uh, but yeah, I think um, when you grow up in the church, you learn sort of a lingo for your faith mm -hmm. that uh, everybody else in the church understands. But my what I would like to do is be able to talk about my faith to people who don't have that lingo or that background and people who are, you know, you grow up in Port or you live in Portland, Maine, and it's an intellectual community. And, um, you have to be able to speak to that intellectual community in a way that rings true to them. Um, mm -hmm. and so that's my goal is to be able to speak to people who have never, who don't have that vocabulary or that background in a are way that they is palatable and relatable to them. Are they receptive? They are it? receptive. They've improved. Yeah, it's my my publisher considers this book um, a crossover book in that it um, it appeals to both Christians and non-Christians. I think so. Mm. I mean, I think it answers the you know that age-old question: Why do bad things happen to good people? I think that's. I think you're exactly right, Frankie. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's you know. Um, or I think maybe maybe a better way, maybe what the way I would put it is: Bad things happen to good people. What are you going to do about it? Right. What do you gonna do with that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because really, you know, the we're all I think that we're all here, you know, that we all have a purpose and we're all here for our own lessons and our own journey. And the things that are gonna come into our life, like the things that came into Jane's life, um, were for our own growth. So yes, her husband was gonna die, but how was she gonna grow after? She had to learn to do her own taxes, she had to learn to do the book, she had to figure out how she was going to sustain herself um you, you know, emotionally after he died. So right. those are big things. Those are big life lessons. Yeah. Real quick, was it was it easy to write the characters? You know, to 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 it write was easy the... to write the characters. The characters um, to me are fully fully formed and and I at a risk of doing my own books a disservice, I think they're books about where um there's not a real fast moving plot. They're sort of like the life of the everyday person. Mm -hmm. um, but where I think my strength lies is in creating these fully formed characters. And um, in my own reading, I don't really care so much what happens in a book, but I want to be able to feel like I can take the characters home and put them in my guest room and be friends with them. Yeah. I think you did a good job of, of, um, characterization. We're going to go to commercial break in just less than a minute, but you did do a very good job at that. I, you know, I could recognize 
any of them on the street as far as their their personalities and their emotional and physical characteristics. So I think he did a really good job there. Thank you know, you. I, if you sat at the ta- dinner table with them, you'd know who they were. Good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's absolutely for sure. Okay, well, we are going to go to a commercial break. When we come back, we are going to uh, say hello to Tassada. And he is the author of Mind of Terror. And trust me, you are not going to want to miss this conversation. Uh-huh. Right, Fred? Oh, yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> I'm so happy to bring him on, and I hope that – and we, we encourage – as I said, we encourage Carrie to stick around because we're going to have a, a group conversation in the end. And you're welcome to call in and, and talk to us as well. Don't go anywhere. Just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. It's Marching Did you hear about the Gabrielunzi bear caught rummaging through a refrigerator in an apartment in Colorado? The tenant heard noises coming from the kitchen and saw a bear with his head in the fridge looking for anything it could eat. What's a word for food that's unfit for human consumption? Ma wallop. The tenant locked himself in his bedroom and called for help. What's a word for the fear of bears? Ursophobia. We have lots of bears near our Colorado cabin, and we have been told that pepper spray will keep them away. But the idea that it would keep a 500-pound grizzly bear from attacking seems ridiculous to me. I think I'll try the pepper spray on myself and hope the bear doesn't like spicy foods. It's Marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. One of the best ways to prevent injuries while exercising is by warming up first. Most of us are in a hurry, and it can be tempting to skip your warm-up and get right into your workout. But don't do it. Warming up is vital and necessary. Taking 5 to 10 minutes to get your body prepared for a good workout is well worth it. If you're going for a run or a brisk walk, walk slowly first and increase your speed so that your heart rate is rising. Even if you're doing a weight workout only, it's important to warm up for at least 5 minutes on the treadmill or just by walking around. Warming up gets the blood flowing to your muscles, heart, and joints and prepares them for a good workout. Mentally, it gets you focused on what is ahead, whether it is running, biking, lifting weights, or another mode of exercise. So don't skip your warm-up. It's an essential part of every workout. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. And welcome back to Frankie Sense and More. I'm here with my new host, Frederick Bai. Hello, I'm hello. Frankie Picasso, Carrie Gardner. We just spoke to her. And coming up now is Tassada. And he is the author of Mind of Terror. So what motivates Islamic terrorists? What is in the mind of a terrorist? Well, former Muslim, one-time sniper with Yasser Arafat's Fatah organization, Tass has lived it himself. And he is going to take us into the mind of terror. He's also the founder of a Hope for Ishmael, a non-political organization and nonprofit that is reconciling Muslims and Jews with the word of Christ. And just a wonderful uh, turn of events. So welcome, Tass. Hello, Frankie. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> well, I like to, I, I want to, you know, tell the folks here that you were 42 years of age living in America when you found 
Christ, I guess, is the, is the way to put it. But before that, you yeah. had lived in Palestine. You, you, you lived in the Gaza Strip, did you? No, actually, I grew up in Saudi Arabia and in Qatar. From oh, in the Qatar. Two months old. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. I thought your parents had moved to Qatar from from uh, Palestine. Okay, so you grew up in Qatar, uh, and you grew and you grew up with a with a deep seated hatred of Jews, of the Israelis, um, because they had taken the homeland in your eyes. That's right. That's right. That was the motive uh, that I had when I was 16 and a half years old to run away from home because my father didn't want me to to do that and ran away and joined Yasser Arafat to, uh, to fight the Israel uh, for a homeland, just to go back to my homeland. You know, even though I was not born in the Gaza, I mean, I was not born in Jaffa. I was born in Gaza because my family left their home in 1948, right before the, the war, to escape the war, and that's where I was born then in Gaza. And two months after my birth, my family immigrated to Saudi Arabia. So I grew up in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. as a Muslim and uh, as a Palestinian immigrant and refugee. So at How... 16, just a minute, Fred, at 16, yes, you, went, you went to, you went to um, train and fight with Yasser Arafat. You were even his driver, weren't you? Uh, I was a, a crazy driver, that's for sure. <laughs> they used me to, to and drive a sniper. Him. <laughs> and a sniper, a trained sniper. Yeah. Wow. Uh, eventually I was trained to be an assassin, and I, I did some assassination work for him, uh, targeting uh, Israelis and, and the Christians uh, on my own not by the orders of Arafat. When I went after Christians, because I believe Christians are agents for, for the Jews and spies for, for Israel. And so right. I went after them too. That's, that wasn't really uh, Arafat's orders. It was my own uh, intuition in my own doing. I was angry. I was frustrated. I wanted oh, a homeland. Go ahead, Fred. Yeah, no, no, I was just going to say, basically, why were you angry? I mean, I mean, how was your life in Saudi Arabia? Because we have this perception from here in America that it's, it's conservative, it's hard, it's, you know what I mean? Is our yeah, perception yeah. real? Well, growing up, yeah, growing up in Saudi Arabia and in Qatar, my family did very well. My father became very wealthy, but yes, we are still recognized as Palestinian immigrants and refugees. And we have even an, a Jordanian citizenship that stays at the bottom of the, of the passport, third-class citizen. Wow. And so okay. growing up like that, it was building up in my heart anger and frustration. Why am I an immigrant? Why am I a refugee? And so when we lost the 67 war, I, I realized that's it. These Arab leaders are wicked, and they're selling us up to the Jews. I'm going to go fight for my homeland. And that's when I ran away from home. Hmm. Now, this is where it but, gets very interesting, because in your book, when you take us into the mind of, of Islam, of a Muslim, it, I found it absolutely fascinating that it's not... The reason that we can't actually uh, come to terms because we don't understand how they think. So they don't think as an individual. They think as a single organism, 
correct? And so when you, when, and they think in terms of honor, and the honor is not the honor to you, but it's the honor to your forefathers for not doing something today for them. So it, it's a very exactly. different mindset than what we're used to thinking. Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, go ahead. That's true. Go ahead. Uh, most, uh, w- what you have said is really absolutely uh, true, and, and that's why it is difficult for us uh, for me, for example, of becoming a Christian, if I did not have uh, a seen Jesus speaking to me in a form of a light, saying to me, I am Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I instantly believed and become a follower of Jesus. If I did not have that vision, I probably, my drive to do good and right, I would not be uh, in the same position that I am today, uh, I, I just I sold my heart entirely to Jesus. Uh, although my family have gone after me to kill me if I don't go wow. back to Islam, they, yeah, they paid a to come after. You lived in America for twenty years. That alone, you know, you you sold out to the enemy. <laughs> With your family, yeah. Yes. And, but you know even something? when you lived here for those twenty years, you still, you know, a good Jew was a dead Jew, in your book, right? Exactly. And and, exactly. and you You're kept right that on. anger and that hatred all of those twenty years, and then you had a spiritual experience, like a mind blowing spiritual experience. Tell us how that what happened. You know, uh, the thing the thing is, uh, Frankie and and Fred. I I hated America and Americans just as much as I hated the Jews before I came to America. But yet I was so drawn to come to America for some reason. Now I understand why. But when I came to America and and I was in in college, and the American people were accepting me and they were treating me, you know, just like anybody else. They didn't call me an immigrant and refugee like the Saudis and the Qataris did to against us. I thought there is something wrong in the way I was thinking about America. And that's when I decided to start looking into how I can live in America and how I can stay in America. And I was told uh, to marry an American girl. So I thought that's easy. That's not a problem. So I went hunting for an American girl. And I found one. And uh, you know, my intentions are not honorable. Yeah, they were not honorable. I wanted to marry Karen, have my papers in America within two years' time, and then say goodbye. Mm-hmm. But thank God, she's still my wife today, 42 years later. And you have and, children, uh, a boy and a girl, right? Sorry, friend. I have a boy and oh, a girl, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Do, do, and, do you think and, you and say so, that when you came to America, your perception changed about, about America? Do you think if Americans would go to these countries, their perception would change towards these countries? Uh, if I did not come to America and I did not experience uh, yeah. the American people' genuinity of loving and caring for other people, no, I probably would not have. I would have Fred, been the Fred, same. The difference is that they, over there, they see American TV, and what they think of is pornography, and we're into mm-hmm. drinking, and we're into all of the things that, that they're against. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but I, and this is exactly some of the reasons why. Yeah. 
That's that's one of the reasons that built up the mind of terror, actually. Exactly the same thing you are posting out right now. Okay. But because of a one man also that really loved me and respected me and treated me as an equal person when I was a busboy mm -hmm. and thanked me for taking his dirty dish away, that really made touch my heart. And I, I, I liked that man so much and respected him, and he became my friend. And I couldn't understand why this man, his name Charlie Sharp, why would he love me? Why would he respect me? Why would he treat me as an equal person when he was a multi-billionaire? Not just a millionaire, billionaire. Mm -hmm. This guy, that really intrigued me. And the relationship continued on for 19 years before he began to move on me to tell me about Jesus. And, and God created such a situation for us that, that, you know, it had to be him. I went back to buy a restaurant where I started as a dishwasher, a French restaurant. <coughs> and uh, I didn't want to leave it in the rental property. I wanted to own my own building. So I was looking for a building to buy, and Charlie, being a businessman, he was telling me about a place I should go to look at. That place I went to, uh, I just saw three days before, and it was a funeral home, a place where they fix uh -huh. people getting them ready for burial. Right. Being a Muslim, you know, knowing uh, the teaching that, you know, in... in in a places like that, there is always demons and ghosts all over the place. I was sure. so scared when I walked in there, I ran out of there. So I said to Charlie, I said, Charlie, I was there just three days ago. And man, when I walked in there, I felt creeps all over the place, demons and ghosts. And he laughed at me. And for the first time in 19 years, he ever brings up the subject of God. Mm. He said, Tosh, do you know why you felt scared like that? I said, no, why? He said, because you don't have the fear of God in you. I was shocked. He said, Charlie, what are you talking about? I'm a Muslim. I fear God. He said, no, you don't. But not to worry. He said, I can help you with that. And he points his finger into, to the sky and he says, I have connection. <laughs> I laughed at him. Exactly. And that's when you had the, the vision? I laughed. And I walked away. But that word, connection... You know, he, 19 years earlier, he thanked me for taking his dirty dish away. Yeah. That captured my heart. Now he tells me about a connection, he captures my brain. I'm thinking about this connection. What is this connection? And I keep calling him and he would not tell me. Ah, you know, he's not, not quite ready yet. Three weeks until I got to the point where I could not eat, I could not sleep, I could not function, except thinking about this connection. Finally, I'm Charlie. Stop you. When we come back, we're going to hear about the connection. That is a fascinating <laughs> story. Do not go anywhere if you want to find out what happens next. It took it's a 19 year story in the making, you know, from busboy to buying a building and then finding Jesus. Okay, well, <laughs> Fred, are you on your uh, are you on the edge of your seat yet? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Don't yeah. go anywhere. We're coming right back. When we do, <laughs> we're going to hear the end of, of uh, Tasha's story, and then and then we're going to have a chat with everybody. And more. We'll be right back after we pay the bills. Welcome to Geraldine Tegelove Live. 
the show that shares with you the secrets of redefining, reinventing, and rebuilding your life. Having pulled herself from the rubble of financial ruin and having gone on to create a highly successful career, Geraldine has become an expert in the art of transformation. She believes that it doesn't matter where you are right now, how overwhelmed you feel, or how impossible the task of turning your life around may seem. You can do it. Stay tuned as metaphysician, international best-selling author, and intuitive Geraldine Tegelov gives you the inner understanding and the outer practical how-to to create your amazing life. Gain a fresh perspective on how to redefine, reinvent, and rebuild your life. Join Geraldine Tegelov live every Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on the Toginet Radio Network. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. If you are looking to drop a few extra pounds or to just get more toned, working out with an exercise ball is a good idea. Livestrong.com says that when you perform exercises on a stability ball, you are engaging your core and helping to shape and tone your abs. Exercising with a stability ball, also known as an exercise or fitness ball, will strengthen your core and improve your balance and stability. They remind us that it is impossible to spot reduce. You need to consume fewer calories than you burn, and then the weight will come off all over your body, including around your waist. As you are cutting back on calories, be sure to use the exercise ball during this time to tighten and tone your waist. Your newly sculpted abs will become more and more visible as your weight decreases. I'm Annette Hammond. Like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. And we're back. I am your host, Frankie Picasso. You're listening to Frankie Sense and More. My co-host, Frederick Bai, is here. Carrie Gardner's here. And, of course, Tassada. He was just going to tell us the end of his story. Tass had, was talking to his friend Charlie, and he Charlie had mentioned Jesus to him, and he had thought and thought and thought about him. And now, tell us the end of your story. <laughs> yeah. So, Charlie, after three weeks of leaving me, sit and wonder about this connection, he picks me up and takes me to his house to tell me about his connection. As he was walking into the door, opening the key, turning the key, he said to me something that just absolutely drove me crazy. He said, Tough, to have the peace that I have, you must love a Jew. I froze. Now, Charlie knew how much I hated Jews until that mm -hmm. moment. Mm -hmm. But I thank God for his love for me that he was willing to tell me the truth. Mm -hmm. He calmed me down and said, let's go sit down. So we went inside, sat down and said, Charlie, what is this connection? He said, what do you know about Jesus? I said, I know Jesus. We believe in him. He's a prophet. He said, well, he's more than a prophet. I said, what is he? He said, he's the son of God and he's God. I jumped off that sofa. I said, Charlie, that is a blasphemy. I don't believe in this. I'm getting out of here. And I was running towards the door. Charlie yelled at me and he said, Charles, calm down, come back, sit down. Give me a minute. So I went back down. He went, brought his Bible. And he sat his Bible between the two of us. A brand new Bible. He took out of the box. He sat it right next to me. And I jumped away from it. Charlie said, why did you jump like that? I said, I can't touch that. He said, why? It's just a piece of paper. And he was flipping the page. I said, no, no. It's got the Word of God and the name of God in it. He said, so you believe this is the Word of God? I said, yes. 
Why did I say it? When we as Muslims really don't believe the Bible is still valid as mm-hmm. the Word of God. Hmm. So Charlie said, okay, if you believe this is the Word of God, let me read to you what it says about Jesus. I said, go ahead. He took the Bible and he opened. Brand new Bible, didn't have any marking or anything. He just opened and he looked at the Bible and he started smiling and began to read to me from John 1.1. He said, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God in the beginning. As as far as I heard him reading, I started shaking violently, and I lost conscience. The next I know, I'm on my knees on the floor with my hands lifted up, inviting Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I heard myself saying that. I'm looking at Charlie, and he's sitting in that sofa, and he's shaking, and he's crying, and... I was worried about him. I thought something happened to him. I said, Charlie, what's the matter? What happened? He said, man, I've never seen anything like this in my life. It looks weird, but I like it anyway. And he comes and he hugged me. And he started saying to me, when I started reading the word to you, you started shaking violently. Then you were taken off the sofa in the air, and it looked like you were fighting something. Then you were brought down to your knees, and then your hands were lifted up. And he said, you started speaking in a language. He said, I didn't know what you were saying. I was speaking to a light that was saying to me, I am Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other way to the Father except through me. Uh And that power of his love that was being poured on me, I have never experienced that kind of love. I was so on my face, on the ground, and crying like a baby. Wanted more of him. And since then, my life was the same again. Mm-hmm. I, I realized I was not safe just to be a Christian. Mm. There's a you, calling on my life. You, yeah. You've experienced both, so you've experienced both religions. What are the main differences that you've noticed? You know what I mean? Between Christianity uh, I, and, I and Islam. Studying the Bible. Studying the Bible, I realized that is the true Word of God. That's the true God. That is the true faith. Islam is not a a religion of God. I realized that. And I said, not with such a joy in my heart, because my family are still Muslims. You said said in the book that Islam is not a peaceful religion. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. And it's not. And I deal with that in my own heart every day, crying out for what, my family. What What about all those uh, Muslims who say that it is a religion of peace and it's misunderstood? And because we hear that a lot too. Uh, I'm sorry. Those some of those are deceptive, and some of them may be genuinely believing that the Islam is a peaceful religion. You know, when we look at the Arab people in particular, they are the most hospitable, loving people. They are. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about religion, that comes different. If they are not reading the entire Quran, most of them don't really know the entire Quran. Mm. And, Kiri, and they might come in and ask yeah. questions and talk with us. Um, were you... Were you a practicing Muslim in America? Did you pray five times a day? Uh, I did not, to be honest about it, but I, okay. I helped building a mosque. 
Okay. Yes. <laughs> you know? Okay. Now your daughter, I, I your did, daughter Farah. But I did, but I did understand and know religion quite sure. deeply. Yes, uh, the Islamic religion. Let me ask you about your daughter Farah before she became Christian. She she was born in America, and yet she really held yeah. on to um, being Islamic and being a Palestinian. Like she identified very strongly with that. Why is that? Yes. Uh, because she didn't like her dad, oh. and she oh. it was not about. And also, she have connected with my family back in the Middle East, and she really didn't want to lose that relationship. Uh, as an Arab, as a businessman, I have built uh, my my business, and I I worked day and night, and I had really not very much relationship. With my family, my my uh, business was my career and my drive, and so I did neglect my family in, in, in a lot. And my daughter, of course, she took it. Uh, she believed that I didn't like her because she's a female, and I didn't um. want to have relate with her. And to sad to my sadness, yes, I did. And that did she really wear a hijab? I'm sorry. No. Did she wear? No, no, no she, she did didn't not. wear head covering. No. 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 She did not. But she was proud of the fact that she was Muslim. Mm-hmm. And when I become a Christian, she says, "I don't want to have anything to do with that." And and because she have she was so popular among the Christians also in the schools that she was the only Muslim. <clears throat> She was the only Muslim in the school, so she was so popular. But your son, your older son, had become a Christian the week before you. Three, three months before me, three as a matter of fact. You. And that is, that is an amazing miracle also, because if I, did, if I knew that, I would have probably killed him or disowned him, just as wow. my family did. Wow, but I, so I hard, praise you know? God for the wisdom of the pastor where he but was saved. Fred, you have to understand that him killing his son is not him killing his son. It's the honor of all of the people, all of yeah. the Muslims yeah. in the world exactly. to tell him yeah. to do an honor killing. I mean, yeah, that's right. That is exactly. to understand. Mm-hmm. Carrie, please yeah. jump in whenever you, you know, there's something you want to say. I'm just, it's just fascinating to me. Is there is there a peaceful solution to all of this? Because there's so much chaos about that right now. Everything is happening. You know, in your opinion, Tass, is there a peaceful solution besides war? Yes. <laughs> I do believe the only answer is Jesus. You know, this conflict between Arabs and Jews is the heart and the core of all of this terrorism that we see in the world. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, but in my book, the mind of terror. Yeah, in the ISIS mind of terror, I Jews, gave. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Because now it's getting between yeah. America and Christians, and you know, versus the, the the Muslims. Now it's no longer just the Jews. You know what I mean? Well, uh, if you, when you read my book, the mind of terror, yeah. uh, you will find six reasons that I wrote in my book that creates the mind of terror. Mm-hmm. And I wrote in my book also the mind of peace. Mm-hmm. And I gave five ways that we can change the mind of terror to the mind of peace. 
Mm-hmm. And this yeah. is this is the, the 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 way that we can reach to Muslims around here in the United States and in Europe. Uh, I, I see reference today about the the uh, the refugees, for example, yeah. and the fight against bringing refugees. Well, I am totally for the refugees, but mm-hmm. of course we have to make sure that these refugees that are coming to this country are not going to come to harm us. Yeah. Right. The book yeah. is based on helping Christians, the followers of Jesus, how to reach out to Muslims in their neighborhood and how to change the mind of terror to the mind of peace. Not everyone that's coming from the refugees are coming with the mind of terror. No, that's not. There are many Muslims that are coming to have a better life for their family and for themselves. And those are yeah. the ones that we need to target when they come to this country. The church is the one that needs to be out there reaching, receiving them to help I, them, I, to help I, I them to understand their mind. I think that that's, you've hit the nail on the head. Um, not many of us can affect global change on a, a change on a global level, but, but we can always affect it in our neighborhood. Um, Portland, Maine is a um, exactly. refugee and immigrant resettlement city, and we have a huge <clears throat> Middle Eastern population here, and um, that's what um, some of the local churches are doing. They're reaching out to help uh, meet practical needs for furniture and clothing and that kind of thing, and just to offer friendship to people who are strangers in a strange land. Exactly. We're going to go to you know, when in, I, in a few minutes, but I, I wanted I just you know for for me one of the faces of terror is is the full you know uh, I can't remember the name of it now when the women wear the full garb and all you see is their eyes what is oh, that called yeah, yeah. the job the burqa yeah. and 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 the burqa, you know yeah. for, to not see somebody's face is very scary thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I find that, that well, for and her, I feel horrible that she, can't, that she can't show her yeah. face. But on the other hand, it's a scary thing not to know who's under there. We are going to go to a commercial break, and I want, I want both of you to address that, all of you, actually, um, when we come back from the commercial. Let's talk about how we feel about that, because I think a lot of people feel that way. Not that, you know, I've got mm-hmm. nothing mm-hmm. against the person under it. It's, it's the face of no face, I guess. That's what yeah. it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Okay, here we go. When we're coming right back, folks, stick around. If you want to join us, you're welcome to. Uh, you can call in, and it's 903-787-5887. Right back after we pay the bills. Information about book publishing is power. The power to change your authoring life and the power to change the lives of your readers. So join us for Your Guide to Book Publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 Pacific, you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now. As the book shepherd, Dr. Judith Bryles is in, and each week, she will include publishing professionals that will reveal tips and secrets to the author's journey. If there is a book in you, you want to listen, learn, and yes, call in with your questions each week. For more on Judith and what she can do for you, check out her website, thebookshepherd.com. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. 
This is the TokiNet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. It's Marching Got a lead foot? According to state troopers, here's what not to do when you get pulled over. Don't be a lachrymis and start crying right away. It doesn't help. But if you're under 20, crying won't be held against you. Don't ask for a break. Don't yell or start any argy-bargy. And one trooper said, if they're going to flirt with me to get out of a ticket, it would probably insult my intelligence. But unfortunately, I don't get hit on all that often. So flirting or being a gill flirt won't work. Did you know that 15% of all drivers get 76% of all traffic tickets? And the odds of winning if you challenge a traffic ticket in court are 1 in 3. So what should you do when you get pulled over for speeding? Be courteous to the officer, and most of all, be honest. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. And you're back. It's Frankie Sensen Moore. And before we went to our break, Kiri had a thought about you know, we're just just while we're off break, actually, she mentioned that, you know, when, when you're one-on-one with, with a stranger and you get to know them and they, you know, you're, you're faced with a Muslim or somebody, you know, with Islamic background, um, it's easy to like them. It's easy to start a friendship. It's easy to care one-on-one. It's, it's harder to care when you have this, this, you know, face of terror looking at you. But I did talk about the woman who was covered in the burqa who are in this country, um, I, I see the men in their shorts and wife beaters, you know, tank tops walking around while their women are, you know, right. sweltering yeah. under this heavy garb yeah. um, and can't even show their face. And to me, like that, that, that's their freedom being taken from them. Sure. Yeah. And identity. What do you say to that? In, in, in some way it is indeed, uh, uh, but it is also the religion. And their own God themselves also. Not, not, yeah, you know, most of them, not most of them, but some of them, they, they would rather to have that freedom to be. But their wives, their husbands are the ones guarding that to make sure that they are covered up. It's part of the religion. Now, the but men. I heard that it wasn't in the end. Part of the religion, they have, no, they should not be wearing shorts. You mentioned shorts. Right. Part of the religion, they should be wearing down below their knees, even the okay. men. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but they don't apply that. I have, to ask, that I have to ask you this because it's always being mentioned with with the suicide bombers. You know, the ones that they, um, you know, that they bring in, and, and and for some reason they're willing to kill themselves for the good of the group. What is it with the seventy-two virgins? What is it that's so exciting about that? I tell you, uh, I was visiting with Yasser Arafat back in 2004, just before he passed away, five months before he passed away. I asked him that question. I said, Mr. President, Mr. President, uh, I, I don't remember you telling me about the 72 virgins when I was fighting for you. You never told me these things. So I have a bone to pick with you. How come you didn't tell me about that? He laughed, he laughed, and then he looked me in my eyes and he said, do you really believe that stuff? Yeah. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. laughing. He was, it, 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 is, it is really uh, something that the, the Islamic uh, uh, 
theologians have created in order to give an incentive for men and women to go and die for the cause of Allah in order so to, to have that privilege. And the what women, do the women get? The woman does not receive that particular, that particular uh, privilege. The privilege for her is to be a slave to the man during those 72 virgins. Great. Sign <laughs> 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 me up. Yeah, I'll pass. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's this totally is the sad, the sad part. Yeah, no, it is. It really is the sad part of uh, the Islamic society and the way uh, Muslims are raising their males and females, unfortunately. You know, one of the hey, questions Carrie. that I know a lot, sorry, that, 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 sorry, go ahead, go ahead, Fred, it's okay, let's talk to <laughs> Carrie for a second. I was just going to ask, you mentioned there were a lot of Middle Eastern people in your area, you, and you mentioned that, you know, Christian church take them in, but do you feel that there's a little bit of tension there um, in your I area? Do, I do not. Um, Portland, Maine is a really, um, uh, as a whole, is really politically uh, liberal and very pro-immigrant in this area. So okay. I think that um, the general um, the general attitude and and sort of feel is that we're very they're very accepting of people of other cultures. In my opinion, okay. cool. yeah, here, yeah. here, here is the thing about this. Uh, uh, yes, they they segregate themselves because they have not seen the acceptance of the people around drawing them to take them away from the segregation. The church have segregated itself in many ways. But I do believe because of the violence that has been taking place in Syria and in Iraq, the Muslims themselves are really wondering, and I've heard these questions many times from Muslims, is this religion of Islam, is this Allah a true God? They are wondering. Many Muslims are wondering that, and this is the time for us, yeah. for the church well, to shine. As Muhammad God's was a prophet, right? Muhammad is a prophet? Right. Uh, when did well, he turn into a God? So so-called prophet. Right. So-called prophet. But when did he turn into God? He was a prophet. There, there's, isn't there a level of hierarchy that says a prophet? Uh, is, is turned, he turned to Allah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Allah and God are not the same. Now, okay. it depends on who you think of is Allah. Now, in my derising in the Arabic Bible, for example, when I read, Okay, and the Bible, in the Arabic Bible, uh, we, they use the same term, Allah, as mm -hmm. God. But it is for us to decide who is that Allah that we are praying for, for example. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, and, and the Muslims are believing that Allah, their Allah, is, is not the same Allah as us, the Christians, either. Right. Which is true. We're not. You you said that for like the honor of your family um, is that they would have to kill you if you came home if you went to visit them. Now your daughter has become Christian. She was very close to your family. Now is it that she would be stoned or killed if she went to see them? Uh, no, we uh, now we have a better relationship with our family in the Middle East. Uh, I did go uh, in two thousand and four after I visited with Arafat. 
Mm-hmm. I, I, my heart was so broken for my family. I decided, Lord, I am going to go to visit, even if they kill me. And mm-hmm. I talked to my wife, and I said, let's send prayers, the intercessors, to pray for me. And I went in 2004. I went there. It was 11 years since the last time I've seen my family. And I called my brother, and I said, I'm coming to see you, the firstborn. <clears throat> and he said, what, did you forget that I was going to kill you? I said, I didn't forget, but I'm coming to see you. So I went to see him. Wow. I flew into Doha Airport. See, and, love uh, can conquer. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry? I said, love can conquer all. And, yes. And I just, I just, when I saw him out there with his gun, he had his gun waiting oh, for me really? with, two, with three wow. witnesses. And I went to him and I kissed his, the right side of his neck. In our culture, this is saying to him, I honor you and I submit your authority. Do as you wish. And I oh, stood wow. back. And that broke my brother started crying. And he grabbed me and he hugged me. And I'm telling you, <laughs> God, God, God just gave me so favors. Yeah. God reached my brother's heart. And and he grabbed me and he hugged me and he was crying. We were crying. And since then, my relationship has changed. Now he has not come back to, he's not come to Islam, to Christianity yet. Yet is a key word. I'm still on it, working. Has he come to America? So all, he's come to America one time. But I've been back to Qatar several times, and I've seen him there, and he's accepting us. He loves my daughter, and he wants to see her. I was there just in December at Christmas. I went there, mm-hmm. celebrated Christmas there, and, and and he loves my daughter, Farah, and he wants to see her. And she loves them, too, and she's a strong leader. She is a very strong. She's just she like seems very man. strong, and her look is very strong. But what does she think about the stoning of women and the honor killings of women? What does she think of that? Of, of course, she feels so sad about that, and she does. She wrote uh, part of this book, uh, The Mind of Terror. She wrote part of that, and she wrote uh, another uh, book to reach out to Muslim, to Christian Arabs, to reach out to Muslims calling Lead with Love. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she's working along the church side of the church to train Christians in, within the church to reach out to Muslims within their communities and how to reach out to them. And she's very active, and, and soon she is going to be our, the CEO of Operishma and nice. Peace of Hope. And, and I'm very proud of her. Oh. That's you know, I live in a, my city is 120,000. I live in Cambridge, Ontario. I have uh, Islamic school. There's two temples and another one being built. And that's, you know, very small community for that many. Oh, yeah. Just, oh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so, that, you know, it's a big Islamic community. Well, I would love for Farah to be on your on your show as well. She, I'd she love would to have be her. Yes. She would yeah. be very, very excited about sharing with you how to reach out to Muslims in the community. And we are going to be in Canada 
uh, in February, as a matter of fact, she's going to be on the show with me on on the conference that we'll be speaking. Awesome. And and Canada, yeah. Um, Thank you. And so, yeah. Well, we've only got two minutes left. I I just want to mention, Carrie, you um, have a new series that you're starting. Yes, I am. Um, Your fans. Yeah, and it's uh, more of a young adult, um, a young adult sort of futuristic um, series that I hope to publish for the more mainstream market. Um, And I'm going to be looking for a new agent for that. And uh, I hope I'll maybe have it done by Christmas. So we'll see. Okay. So if folks want to go to your website, is it CarrieArmstrongGardner.com? Just CarrieGardner.com. CarrieGardner.com. And there's no I in my name. It's C-A-R-E-Carrie. Yeah. Very interesting spelling. Yeah. <laughs> and and tasks for uh, people to go and visit you. Is it um, Hope of Ishmael? Hope for Ishmael. That's Hope for Ishmael. Okay, great. That's and yeah. Again, um, Carrie's book the is they, they danced on, and, and Tass's book is uh, the, in the Mind of Terror, or the Mind of Terror. So uh, both really really good books. Both, as you can hear, wonderful people and authors uh fred great yeah. job today thank you so much <laughs> thank you <laughs> do you have anything you want to say to the folks oh i just want to say hey uh thank you for tuning in i'm glad to be here and you know what i hope we'll be uh, you know we'll have a long relationship i do too so. i think you're fine thank, you're thank fun. you fred thank you thank you <laughs> thank you we hope to see you in jericho soon we invite you to come to jericho I'd love to we meet you when you, you come. come to Jericho. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too. Please reach out. All right. Okay, everybody. Wherever you are in the world, Bye-bye. many blessings. Goodbye. We love you, and we'll be back next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.